Hi there, precious kinklings. You're listening to K is for Kinky, and we are your friendly neighborhood kinksters. Jen. And Eden. And we want to welcome you back to the 2024 season, season three, with an amazing interview that we're doing with the wonderful Mistress Siam. Hello, and welcome to the K is for Kinky podcast. This podcast discusses adult topics, so if you are offended by adult topics or are under the age of 18, please stop listening now. Also, while Miss Jen is a therapist, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are not to be taken as personal therapy for you. She is not your therapist. And if she is your therapist, just remember that what she says only technically counts in your private sessions. <laughs> All right. So before we before we introduce you to our, our wonderful um, guest, I'm just going to let the kinklings know that I'm getting over a cold. And so if I sound funny... That is why, and I'm going to try to keep coughing to a minimum. Yeah, that would be great. That would be wonderful. I'll we'll love to. My best. Yes. Because I, I don't know if, I don't think illnesses travel through microphones, but with as heavy as you cough, that this would be the one time that like historically no, would break Kinklings that. are safe. I think they're, <laughs> and by the time they hear this, I better be feeling a-okay. So <laughs> I certainly hope so. Well, welcome everyone to season three of K is for Kinky. We're so happy to be here with you all still. Um, as you know, we're doing the season a little bit differently. We're promising to have every single month an interview. And this month, we were able to get some time with Mistress Cyan, uh, who we're going to hand the mic over to, so to speak, so that she can introduce herself now. Well, hello. I'm Mistress Cyan, and uh, thank you for having me on. Uh, I've been in the lifestyle in the community for about a little over 30 years, and I've been owning a dungeon and pro dom for over 25. I uh, started out as a, my life basically in the corporate world uh, with an interest in kink and BDSM. But, you know, when I came into it, there really wasn't an internet and, you know, uh, opportunities to get into it. So I wasn't able to really explore that until a bit later in life when things started opening up a little bit. But when it did and got immersed into, um, uh, the lifestyle and meeting people and going to play parties. Uh, it just kind of evolved to a situation that by the mid nineties or so, this became um, something I could actually make a career of. So um, looking forward to sharing some information with you and your audience today. That's awesome. You get it out of that corporate grind. Yeah. <laughs> We're super stoked to have Mistress Cyan just because she's such an important person in our life. We just, we think the world of her. Um, there's lots of things that are interesting about Mistress Cyan, but the reason today that we wanted to do the interview is because we thought it would be really fun for all of you, the listeners, and for us as well, to learn a little bit about what it's like to run a dungeon, what it's like to make the decision to transition from being a member of this community into somebody who is operating um, one of the most important kind of hubs for our communities to gather around and what it's like behind the scenes in a dungeon. Cause I'm sure all of y'all listening are very curious about that. Yeah. I think it's, it's an interesting world that we live in right now, post pandemic, because what we saw was a lot of places close and I've, I've then heard several people here and there you know, in fantasy land going, I would love to open a dungeon. Like we don't have as many as we used to. Like, wouldn't it be great to open a dungeon or yeah, we want to open a space and, and, you know, have all our friends over to, to play. And my first thought is I don't think people realize <laughs> how much goes into it. And 
you know, what, what kind of hills there are to climb in that business. So I think this is a really interesting uh, topic for this interview with you in particular, because not to be, you know, Debbie Downers or anything, but the reality, the hard work that it takes, uh, I think would be eye-opening for a lot of people. So sorry, I'm thinking about um, Gordon Ramsay and like John Taffer who like go into like small businesses and just rip them apart because people think it's easy to open like restaurants <laughs> and like bars. And I, I feel like the same type, I mean, that's, not to come, I don't, I'm, I'm very grateful that it's not like a Gordon Ramsay of the dungeon world. That would be so bizarre. But um, I feel like this, that people sometimes- Some people might be more into it though. It'd be yeah. a massive humiliation. Case. Yes, but I, I think that some people believe or like have the misconception that because the kink scene is so niche, that running a business within the scene is somehow easier. And um, yeah, this is a legitimate and respected profession that takes a lot of skill. So I cannot wait to hear you, Mistress, um, share a little bit about what what you experience and how you how you got to where you are. Well, and I've known you probably for maybe a little over ten years, and I met you when you already, of course, were running Sanctuary, um, LAX, which was newly open when I met you. But um, I would love to go back and hear kind of the origin story of how do you go from participating in the scene, you know, being involved as 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 a community member if you will and then decide I'm gonna open a space like how can you tell us about that period of your life and that transition well I'm um, toward the end of the 80s um, I went ahead and was going through a, a separation and I moved in with some friends over in Riverside uh, they had a big um, like six bedroom two-story house on a half acre of land and they were kinky and once a month did a play party because back then the only really parties you had were people who were doing them in their homes they had like a, a a dungeon room set up or something and people would come over and play it was all kind of underground and that's where i really got my exposure to it one day the woman that owned it uh she asked me she said hey would you want to come in and and play i've got somebody coming over so it's like oh sure so you know went in did the scene and afterwards she gave me some money and I was like what's this for and she said oh well I'm a pro dom and you know I had him you know do an extra little contribution uh to cover you so I was like wow this is really neat I didn't even know you can you can make some money off of this we fast forward a little bit I started doing a few more you know uh, pro sessions uh and by the mid 90s they were she was going to be moving out you know health uh, issues and, and she was having Going, going to be selling the house and so on you know so I moved into Hollywood and uh, I met up with another uh, pro dom uh, mistress Maida and she was in the process of you know wanting to open something up so she talked to me said would you want to go in and partner with me on a, uh, on a play space uh, so we talked about it and what we did is we got a three-level townhouse in Glendale and it was only for doing our pro sessions. Okay, we didn't do like events or nothing else there. So we had our our events going, I mean, our um, our sessions going. And the owners were really pretty cool. We told them we had erotic photography because it was a three, three level, uh, second story, third story, all the bedrooms were all dungeon rooms. We didn't live there or anything. And the owners were really cool, but they had some, uh, problems with um, with the plumbing and they decided to sell the complex and when they sold the complex 
uh, the new owners, came, when they came, did their walkthrough, and they came to our space, <laughs> they came up one upstairs, and then they came downstairs and said, uh, we have no intention of uh, renewing your lease, and if you want to fight it, we'll we'll make it very difficult. So we didn't want to go ahead and fight that, so we just decided to move. At that point, I was looking at, um, uh, by by the late 90s, they already had a couple of other dungeons, commercial dungeons set up that you know, were doing pro stuff. There was the Chateau in North Hollywood and the Dominion in um, in Venice. So I got a hold of the uh, of the, the Chateau in North Hollywood about doing some sessions. And the owner was like, well, you're trans, so I can't really have you here because we don't do sex. Hmm. So that wow. was like, okay, so you because I'm trans, you assume I'm going to be doing sexual stuff. So that's when I decided I need to take and find something else. And about that time, Mistress Omega contacted me and said she was opening up a space in Reseda if I wanted to partner. So that's how the first sanctuary started in 1999. It went into us doing a little partnership to put together uh, a dungeon so we could do sessions. And that's when I started doing some events because just prior to that i started sanctuary in a uh, actually in a small nightclub in van nuys uh, it was a friday night play party um that we had one specific room that we that people could come into and do scenes and so on so it was kind of like the back back room kinky area so when i set up with omega to open the dungeon decided to i decided to move that into the dungeon and that's pretty much how it started literally 25 years ago because this is our the 25th year of sanctuary wow i mean this is just incredible to be hearing about just because and i hope people listening understand we are hearing history about how the scene developed from somebody who majorly shaped the landscape that we're in today um mistress i know that we didn't necessarily pre-decide to ask you this question but as you were talking obviously it was moving and also like disturbing to hear about the transphobia that you experienced um, just trying to work at the Chateau, would you be willing to speak a little bit about some of the obstacles that you faced and overcome as a trans woman who has been a pro and also a dungeon owner in the scene? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> well, when I when I started doing pro, there really weren't any anybody who was identifying as trans. So my, my hill was like very steep to climb. And I got things like, I would have people or clients go, oh, I can't session with a, with a guy or, oh, I I, oh, you're just a man in a dress. That's, I'm okay with that. I'm not, I'm not into that type of thing. I had other actual pro doms say that I shouldn't be in this business that, you know, this was, this was a, a female business and that I, there was no place for somebody like me, but it was basically my strength and perseverance that overcame. I've, one of my assets personally, is that I'm never been given up, you know, when I was young, and I had, I had a 50-50 chance of actually living when I was born, my mom had was not real healthy. And I had uh, twin sisters and a brother that both miscarried and died at birth. So I was actually the fir first one to live the fourth one made me conceive. So wow. I wasn't that healthy, I had asthma and stuff. And, but I worked at it. My parents moved from New Orleans to out here to California for the because of the climate. And as a result, I started doing being active. They think doing things they told me I couldn't do. And by the time I was 
out of high school or in high school, I went to being competing in track cross country and going to state finals, things they told me I would never be able to do, playing sports. Um, it's always like took everything as a challenge to overcome. So in this particular thing, when I was basically told I didn't belong here and that um, it wasn't a place for me, it just made me dig in a little bit more and say, you know, that uh, I believe I do. I believe I'm capable. I believe I have the, the skill set and the integrity that it takes to, um, uh, to be a respected pro-dom. And I stuck with it. And today I get... I always, I still get letters to this day and people coming up to me like Dom Khan saying, you know, you paved the way, you know, trans doms today saying, you know, I never thought I could do it. And the same thing happened with, I was a bondage model for four years in the 90s. And uh, I had that same thing. People with production producers would say, would contact me. Oh, we want to do a shoot with you. And then I would say, well, you do know I'm I'm trans. Oh, well, that's not going to work. That's our, our people aren't into it. Well, you're not doing we're not going to be doing any naked stuff you saw my bondage pictures and you were fine with that but now all of a sudden because mm -hmm. i disclosed that there's a problem so there was a tremendous amount of transphobia in this industry in this business in the um uh in the 90s 80s 90s and even into the very early 2000s but it's something that uh, i addressed and i would take and when people would tell me those things i would my clients about, oh, you're a man in dress, or I can't session with a guy. I tell them, well, you're not going to get anything up from me that you wouldn't get with a, a genetic woman. We're not having sex. I'm not going to be naked. Um, you're either coming to see me for the for the scene, or you got something else in mind. If you got something else in mind, I'm not the right person for you anyway. Yeah. Yeah. They told you you can't, and you said, watch me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing uh, that, Mr. Sayan. We really appreciate, really, really appreciate having a community elder speak about that. Do you find that the scene, I mean, obviously transphobia is alive and well. A lot of, a lot of things, a lot of bigotry is alive and well. Do you find that the scene has become more accepting of trans um, pros uh, in, in more modern times? Um, yeah. I, I think it, it it has, and to be honest, I think one of the reasons is that um, is because of the the founding of DomCon. Okay, it it, it put me in a, a, a forefront, and also brought people together instead of seeing websites online or things. I had to put it put people together that could meet other people, and uh, and it inspired a lot of other. Uh, women who are trans to say, well, I can do this. And there's strength in numbers. And, you know, more, more trans doms started coming out and then believing that, that they could do it and having someone, you know, that they could call or ask advice from and, uh, and feel empowered with. So, I mean, there still is, because there's going to be a misunderstanding from people who are unaware and uneducated as far as what it is and i'm that that is something that we will not um we'll, that won't change okay people have misconceptions misunderstandings and no clue 
to the difference between someone who is uh, trans or a crossdresser. Yeah, <sighs> I love that. I was just thinking, like with DomCon and everything, you you mentioned that, and and how that probably created the the humanity for it, where people are meeting other humans and going, oh, you know, these are these are real people in front of me, and not just this concept or whatever stereotype I've you know had in my head, too. You know, so that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, and obviously we can look at the fact that the the discourse surrounding um, queer and trans rights has moved rapidly since the 90s to where we are now. But um, I think something mistress that you that you highlighted is this need and this benefit of community support, which you were able to create with your dungeon space with DomCon. Um, it's something that I admire so much about you and something that I know Miss Jen and I both feel strongly about, you know, creating community and support. For, for any I mean for any demographic but it's just so critical it's so critical um so speaking of creating community and going back into starting a dungeon if somebody wanted to create something like domcon or specifically a dungeon how on earth do you start where do you where do you begin well uh, obviously a lot of it uh, is about where it's going to be because obviously sanctuary is located in Los Angeles which is very liberal um and understanding that's not the case um, in other cities no it's not the case in cities around the country it's not even cons uh, something that's in certain cities in california even though california is a blue state so you have to can you know the environment that you're in okay is it going to be something that's going to accept that um when you're going to open you'll have to take into consideration uh what year it's going to be you know for example trying to open something uh in an election year is can be more challenging than than if it's not an election year because you may have people running for office that's um that's looking for a platform and if it's kind of a conservative area or they're trying to get the conservative vote they may feel like oh hey there, look what's going on in our community. We've got these people doing this, this you know, perverted sexual things, you know, and they'll have pictures of St. Andrew's crosses or whips or chains and 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 cuffs and things, and they'll say, you know, this is not okay. You know, I'm going to clean up our community. Uh, so then you become a target uh, by a politician that is trying to make a name for themselves. Um, not always the case, but it's a, it, that's definitely more of a possibility in a uh, in an election year than there is in a in a non political year. How comfortable are you with being out? Okay, because you're going to have to get like licenses and things like that, which put your real legal name on it. Um, are you you know going to put yourself out in the public as far as like uh, a target? You know, if you're going to open up a space. Uh, you're taking looking at the liabilities of um, that not only legally but even in within your community our community can be a really good community but it also has faction that, that tends to eat itself and attack its own so for example there are laws in this country as there is in here in los angeles that says um you do not have the right to uh, consent to an assault which means that we can be arrested for spanking somebody. We can be arrested for flogging somebody. Um, and many people will wonder, well, well, why don't we then? How can some place like Sanctuary exist 
and be known out there in law enforcement and everything else and not have a problem? Well, the, the, the answer is because generally, while it's against, technically against the law to consent to an assault, and consent doesn't play into it, it does in the prosecution part of it. When it would go to court, then that's when they do take into consideration whether it was a, a consensual activity between consenting adults. So generally, the prosecutors will not take the case. They will not uh, prosecute a BDSM case Okay, unless they are trying to make a statement, okay, like, okay, we want you out of here, so we're going to uh, prosecute, even though we're going to probably lose the case, but it's going to cost you a fortune with your legal legal fees and make your life really, really rough. Yeah, so that's why we don't get arrested. And that's also a reason why it's important, at least for me, that we are visible. We are out there that the public knows who we are law enforcement knows who we are um you know we've done everything right we file our taxes we do all the things that we legally have to do like any other business does um and be aware of of what what the laws are yeah yeah i mean what you're talking about reminds me of like outdated laws i, I don't remember when this particular law was actually finally ended but i know for up until a certain point recently in recent memory it was illegal to have anal sex in some states still they weren't prosecuting for it because it was an outdated law but this is not the first time that laws have remained in place that essentially go unchallenged or unchanged simply because they target a marginalized community. I and think there's I think there's a law in some states that you can only have a certain number of sex toys. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's also true. And this is the thing, like I think some people are probably shocked to hear that that is the case, but um, it is frightening to understand truly that the law does not protect um, people who do BDSM at all. Our, our, our laws are still very, very limited and backwards. Um, but something that you said I, I think is so critical and interesting to understand, which is that every dungeon that exists is really just one mistake away from being able to be taken down legally and targeted. And many um, people have a, a strong desire to target and take down dungeons. Um, so it is so important that you do follow the laws. And I think that um, some people don't realize how, how critical it is, how even not following a fire code or I don't know, like not having your taxes on time or something could actually result in the dungeon entirely being taken down simply because there are politicians and people who, from their perspective, think that it's immoral what we do and are just waiting, just waiting to pounce and to have a reason to shut down a dungeon. That's very true. Um, it's a matter of fact, even like I said a little bit earlier about where you're at, um, real quickly, in 2016, um, Myself and a couple, I got approached by a couple of people who wanted to open up a space in the Inland Empire. And so we decided that, sure, I'll work with you on that. And they found a space in Upland, uh, which is about 50 miles or so east of us. And um, we set everything up. Everything was going well. And they had an event that was uh, with a men-only event. And apparently that ruffled the feathers of some people and the city got involved and said, oh, we don't like this. And they came in and saw the space and started a big deal about it, that they didn't want us there. And that um, 
my attorney said, well, you know, we have, we're doing everything correctly. You know, we're not breaking any laws. And so, so basically what they did is they started harassing us. They started uh, parking police cars across the street on nights where there was going to be a party. So that would intimidate people from coming. They would drive by every 15 minutes. Um, just the total harassment and basically came out and said, we don't want you in here. Uh, you, you know, uh, and my attorney said, you know, we can fight it, but what's going to happen is they're going to drag it out and it's going to cost you quite a bit uh, on there. And even when you win, you're not going to be able to stop the harassment because they're going to, uh, they're going to patrol. They're going to come in and do inspections. They're going to come up with reasons why they have to, to come to a walkthrough or something like that. And, um, you know, so we closed it down. And even here at Sanctuary, in well, the Sanctuary that was on La Cienigo before we moved to our, our current location, we had a situation one night where a person came to DomCon, right? Came to the fetish party on Saturday night, the fetish ball. And they came back like a month later. Okay, well, guess what? DomCon, we had 500 people at the party. They came back to another party like a month or two later where there was like, 40 people, 50 people. And he started complaining about, oh, there's not enough people here. Oh, I thought I was going to get play. And we explained to him, well, this is a lifestyle dungeon. People come, there's no, it's not contractual. You're not guaranteed play. Uh, nobody's here on staff that would be forced to play with you. And he got upset and left. And about 20 minutes later, the sheriff show up and come in. And this was a, a party on a Friday night or Saturday night. And they say, um, we got a phone call that someone's being held against their will here. And we're going to have to do a walkthrough. Now, keep in mind, I'd already been working with the district attorney with, uh, opening that up. Law enforcement, the sheriffs knew who we were, what we did and everything. <clears throat> so what they said to me, they said, we're going to wait for backup. And we're going to wait outside. So it's going to be 15, 20 minutes. And basically, we're letting me know that I to go let people know that the sheriffs were going to be coming in, but not to worry. So sure enough, you know, we get a couple other squad cars show up. They come in. They do a walkthrough. Everybody's still playing. You know, everybody's still doing bondage <laughs> and spankings and floggings. And, and that's so they came in. But they had to look at every single room in the dungeon. Okay. And afterwards, they said, you know, we knew nothing was wrong, but when we get a call like that, we have to check it out. And um, mm -hmm. I said, yeah, well, there was a guy here uh, that left a little while ago that was pretty upset. And uh, we gave him his money back. There wasn't enough people in his opinion. So the officer called the desk and said, when did we get this call? And they said, oh, about 45 minutes ago. And he said, when did this guy leave? And we said, about an hour ago. And he said, okay, well, obviously... You got somebody who was pissed off because they weren't happy and mm -hmm. uh, and filed a complaint to, to mess with you. But those are the kind of things that you that you would you can't plan on happening. So if you're running a dungeon kind of like undercover behind the scenes, you know, we don't want, you know, it's kind of like, oh, we don't want anybody to know if it's really secretive and something like that happened. And for example, law enforcement doesn't know about it they could turn out bad. Okay. You could get shut mm -hmm. down. You could take in panic. You can, you know, I mean, there's so many wrong things that can happen. So there's still places that, um, wherever it is, it's still risky. 
and that law, as far as the law about uh, unable to consent to an assault, it's not an old law. It's a recent law that was put into just in, in our lifetime because uh, police would be called to domestic violence and the wife or the girlfriend would be afraid to press charges. So they passed this law. So that says that, you know, if somebody's beating their wife or their girlfriend or spouse or whatever and doesn't want to charge law enforcement can, can enforce them. So it's a good law to protect people, but it also is a law that includes us in some way if they want to use it that way yeah yeah it's interesting when you were talking about the guy who called in because he was upset um about not automatically getting played with oh they um it reminded me of currently with like social media and how many uh kink creators get their accounts pulled because people just don't like what they're doing or you know take something personally if they get rejected by a pro or you know whatever or just are offended themselves and so they report the person's account for going against uh you know the the platform's whatever what is it terms and conditions when they actually the video might just be like talking <laughs> you know educational but you know, people can report whatever they want. And they have to get checked out. And so it's interesting how it's moved on to online now as well. I think I think it's important to be able to acknowledge that there's just so much discrimination out there for kinksters. And um, I don't I personally don't perceive that it's going to necessarily go away anytime soon, um, although it does help that we're getting some mainstream exposure um, shows like what was it bonding, um, even though bonding majorly misportrayed aspects of BDSM and had some very dangerous things in it, it still gives the vanilla world a view of BDSM that shows that there are human beings engaging, not just whatever fantasies um, they are imagining in their minds. But this does kind of tie in, like hearing all of this, obviously, it's very challenging to be able to not only open a dungeon, but keep it open. The fact that you've had Sanctuary open for 25 years is nothing short of remarkable. Um, we do see dungeons popping up and falling down constantly. And I think during quarantine and COVID that that really, well, I mean, COVID's still happening, but during the peak of that, when everything was shut down, that's when we unfortunately really did see kind of a stranglehold on many businesses and dun dungeons were not exempt. They just, they just couldn't survive that, that experience. But in general, we still do see the strange trend of dungeons going up, dungeons going down. I, I think I've, in the scene, I've been here for six years, and I think I've seen at least two or three dungeons come and go. Um, could you speak a little bit to why why it is that this is a phenomenon that we experience in the scene, in Los Angeles specifically, because I, I can't speak to the rest of the country. But Well, number one, uh, like many things, if you don't know everything about it, things can look easy. On, you know, there are things that you can do when you, if somebody's for example, let's let's say fogging. If somebody knows what they're doing, they can make it look really easy. Okay, quarantining or something like that. And but when you try it, you find out, oh my God, this is how do you do this? This just doesn't work. That you make it look so easy. Same thing goes with the, the business thing. If you're operating a business and you know what you're doing, um, and you've been around for a while, it may look like it's it's an easy thing to do. It's not. Okay, you get faced with with so many things. Um, number one, just just actually getting a space to to open is a challenge. Okay, finding a location um, is a challenge. But once you do have it open, um, that 
it's not quite as profitable as people think it is. You know, let me give you an example of something. People come to LA Pride and they see 25,000 people and they say, they will tell me because I'm on the board, oh my God, you guys must be making a mint. Uh, no, you see how many people are here and you see what the price is, but you don't realize that to put it on is between four and $6 million. Okay, it's the same thing oh. with dungeons here. People will see people coming to play parties and they're like, oh my God, gonna, you got, you know, a hundred people here and you've got uh, $20, you know, it must be raking it in. Well, number one, if you've got a space that's big enough for, you know, a hundred people, you're probably spending $10,000 a month on your rent. Okay, uh, you know, my, my insurance each month is, uh, you know, upwards of over $800 a month for our liability insurance here. You've got the the power bills that run about $1,000 a month. You've got, you know, the gas. So when it's, when it's called for heating, you've got, you know, the cleaning expenses, the maintenance expenses of, uh, of the equipment and things. So when you really start looking at it, if you're going to have a space that's large enough to be like a community center, a community type of play space, you better be prepared to be to figure out how to bring in about twenty thousand dollars a month to keep it open. Okay, just to just to keep it open, just to bring just keep to it. Keep open. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, if you're looking at a small space that you're going to do, um, like when I opened up, it was going to be to do sessions with. Uh, you know, I realized, hey, guess what? You know, I mean, my sessions are two hundred dollars an hour. Okay. But the original sanctuary over in Reseda, you know, it was it was going to be, you know, just to keep the doors open, pay the rent, pay the utilities, uh, the, the cleaning supplies and stuff like that. It was going to be like twenty two hundred a month. I was like, okay, that means the first eleven sessions I do this month just goes to keeping the doors open. That's not even paying me yet. So I'm not really even going to be making money until I get my twelfth session. Okay, so yeah. you have to start doing other, being creative, or having some kind of some event, or doing rentals and stuff. And some people open up a dungeon in their home, okay, or in a residential area, which opens up a whole new area because of the the sexual nature of BSM and the misconceptions about it. So that there are laws that said you can't be within so many, you can't be within five hundred feet of a uh, a, com a county or a city facility. You can't be within 500 feet of a church. You can't be within, you know, a thousand feet of a bar. Uh, you can't be in residential areas and stuff. So that you're very limited, number one, of where you can even have this type of business. You know, here in LA, you basically got to be in an M2 zone, uh, which is a manufacturing industrial type of zone that people who do stuff like in their home and they'll go, oh, hey, I need to take and, um, you know, I'll do some rentals with them. All of a sudden you got neighbors seeing these people driving up or this crowd coming in on Friday night. It only takes one phone call the police to come shut down the party. Uh, if, it's, if they're doing professional work or something like that, are they licensed on there? Then they're going to get in trouble or get cited. Uh, this business here is, is, um, is for somebody who loves it. When I was in the corporate world, I had 401ks, I had great salary, I had an expense account, I had a company car, you know, I had insurance, I had all these things, which I don't have now. 
Okay, but what I do have now is a happiness that I enjoy coming into my dungeon. I enjoy meeting the people. I enjoy what we do. Uh, but it's, I'm happy because I can pay my bills. You know, am I getting rich? Far from it. You know, uh, am I, you know, owning a bunch of property? Not exactly. I there's, there's a lot of sacrifices it makes to to get into a business like this because it's not as um, as much as it's a lot of people who are even just pros who are successful. It's not only because they're a pro dom. It's because of other things they do, other businesses they do, shooting content. Uh, they're, they're in real estate or some things like that they can do part time. But this is uh, this is not a if you're looking to get rich, this is not a business. <laughs> type of thing that you want to open well and, and it's so unfortunate that it can't be something that not only sustains you from a happiness standpoint but that could give you more and the reason is because of that discrimination because this is not a world like the kink world is considered synonymous with sex work and there's so much stigma as well in our culture against sex workers which don't get me started because that should be something that's completely legal above board and we should be helping to protect and provide for sex workers they perform in my opinion a sacred a sacred job in our culture but regardless um it, it it's not right that it should be this hard but it is the reality and there is a practical nature to starting a business like this that you have to be able to understand what you're getting into and i really love that you're speaking about it and i also respect and love that you love this so much that you're providing this space because yeah it's it is a sacrifice that you make and i i i hope that any person who walks into any public dungeon understands how difficult it is for that dungeon to even exist and how how fortunate we are in la to have a space let alone several spaces where so many places don't have anything yeah well and so this this kind of leads um this leads into the next the next question here because we already we've covered you know if dungeons are profitable which essentially not necessarily not necess not not if you want to get rich you know you may make some money but not necessarily super survive. profitable yeah <laughs> um and we've talked a little bit, you know, Mistress, you talked about what the skill sets a person needs to have before starting a dungeon. You mentioned that you had a business, a background in business. And I think you, you said you have a business degree as well. Um, what what things does a person need to know how to do if they're starting? Let's say that I wanted to start a dungeon today and I was lucky enough to have you as a mentor to help me. And I also had Miss Jen. So I two of us are going to start mm -hmm. a dungeon. What would we need to know how to do to be able to do this? Um, well, number one, I don't have a business degree. My degree was actually in entomology and, and biological sciences. Oh, but um, that's so cool! I, oh my <laughs> gosh, can you use that? Well, does that help you with anything in kink? Absolutely not. <laughs> 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 no, but what y'all say? What 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 my education did do is it is it taught me how to think. It taught me how to uh, problem solve. Um, you know, when you're given tasks in school, like writing papers or, or doing homework or something like that, it's not, it's not always just to teach you the material that you're there to learn. It's, it's teaching you how to get that material, how to find that material, how to do things, how to, how to think. And that's the biggest thing with education. It teaches you how to think and how to get the information that you need. So, you know, uh, my business experience came out of my, just my background with working. I was 
when I came on, when I was in college, I got a, basically a, a part-time job that was spraying lacquer for with a company that does these wooden housewares at minimum wage. And again, I've always had a, a drive that I'm going to do something 110% or not at all. So I did really well. And I, I, and that, and I progressed in that company. They're like, well, I would really like, you know, the caliber of work you do, you know, we want to move you up into doing this and do this. And then to like, if you were to be supervisor and then one day they, um, they came to me and said, we would, we're opening up a new department. We would like you to run it. And that, um, I told them I was going to college, so I couldn't put in the time that they were asking for. So they said, well, tell you what, <clears throat> you set your own schedule. We don't want to lose you. And that, um, and basically I worked myself up in that company that with, by the time like I was getting out of school, I was already working as an operations manager. So I, I basically was learning the business from the president, the vice president of the company who were kind of mentoring me, uh, on it. A lot of businesses is about people management. It's about customer service. It's about meeting the needs, uh, that, that is out there. So, you know, opening a dungeon, it's not always about what you want. It's recognizing what does the community want? Because if you're going to want the community to, to support you, you have to support the community. Okay. So you have to look at, okay, why am I doing this? Number one. Okay, is it for financial or is it because it's something that I want to do or it sounds like fun? Whatever the reason, but you got to decide why are you going to do this? What is your motivation to, you have to do your homework and find out what is it going to take, okay, on there. And if you're just going to kind of jump into it and do it yourself, um, you're going to learn the hard way on some things. So I've had people like from Northern California come fly down here and meet with me to ask, hey, help me understand what I got to do, what do I have to learn, what do I what do I have to do, you know, to open something up in such and such area where we don't have one. I want it to be a community center, you know, so you kind of go to somebody who has something so that you can, you don't have to recreate the wheel or make the same mistakes. Uh, and again, it's going to be different in different cities and stuff, but you need to understand too that there's it's not like opening up a, a little corner store or something you know this is not you know a business that you just put a neon sign out there and, and do a grand opening everybody comes to it there's That's going true. to be prejudices <laughs> and there's going to be discriminations and there's going to be obstacles that's not fair but you know life's not fair when you know again like you said, Eden, it's associated with sex work, and that has a negative connotation. Uh, people, it's it should be something that that's legal. If if this country was run by women instead of men, it would probably would be legal. But since most of the clients are men, and the and the, and the laws are kind of influenced by men, of course, you know, then sex work is going to always be. Down there because they don't want to have to pay for it. <laughs> oh well, sorry, editorial there. Anyway, um, yeah. the uh, you know finding the space. I mean, it was a challenge. As, as some may or may not know, after the pandemic, our dungeon over in near LAX, uh, we had to move out because our landlord came to us and said, "Hey, I love you guys. You pay your rent. You paid through the pandemic. You've done everything right. You're great tenants." 
but I can't renew your lease after 10 years because um, I want to refinance my property. And my lenders will not give me a good interest rate because of the type of business that you are. They, they feel like it's high risk. That's what they say. But the bottom line is I can't afford to have you here. So, you know, if we were a printing company, that would never have happened. Okay. Yeah. If you were, you know, a mainstream company, it never would have happened. But we were forced to move. Uh, we moved out in August 1st, 2022. And went seven months before we could get into another building because we would find places that we were, it was either not zoned for, uh, that, for our type of business um, or the, business, the owners did not want our kind of business. And I actually had one person who was really excited about renting to us. And when he went to the website, he came back and said, no, I'm not going to rent to you. I'm not going to rent to a dominatrix. So, you know, there's there's those obstacles on there um, where's the location can you even find a location we ended up not even being able to find a place to lease because of all those things and that's where we're fortunate enough that you know we're buying the building that we have here because i had i had some people i knew that were investors that would come in and help us with uh with the down payment and and stuff to to get this and a couple of people are in the community who said you know we can't afford and we can't have sanctuary not come back you know you need to make sure that you're in line with doing your taxes um that you're in line with uh with having your, your insurance with making sure that the city you're in or the location you're in is not going to piss somebody off so that they come in and say you've got to move or i'm going to terminate your lease because you didn't tell me you were doing this um, you weren't forthright in your lease, so it gives me every right to terminate it. So, you know, you got 30 days to get out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely not a business that is as easy as people may think to yeah. start. <laughs> How important is having good relationships with other people in the community, other dungeons, um, event organizers? How important is it to have good relationships with them and to keep good relationships with them? Oh, it's hugely important. I mean, when I when I first opened Sanctuary, okay, there was a couple of other things. There was one called Passive Arts. There was the Dominion. Um, and I'll tell you, some of those, they hated each other. They used to take and harass each other. I heard stories about, you know, um, you know, they one would go and turn and you know, God saying shut the water off or something on the other one. And oh my god. It was I mean, it was really and it's if you really look back in there even the history going back into like the 70s and the 80s when they had some some of the the underground dungeons like the ball and chain and stuff that they really considered each other as competitors okay mm -hmm. i was the first one with sanctuary came in and basically did not have any problems with any of, any of them with the dominion with the with the chateau even the way the chateau treated me when i earlier on you know with with thresholds that was like we are a community you know yes we may have a business but there's enough room for everybody in this los angeles is a big place and work more in a collaborative effort rather than a competitive uh situation you know as as far as the pros when the dominion was um open that if we had a client came here that was a problem i would give hillary a call and say hey just so you know, if she had a, a client that was a problem, she'd call us and let us know, hey, this guy might be coming over there because we banned him here. Um, if we had, if either of us had um, 
you know, staff members that were doing something inappropriate or got fired for something, we let the other one know. So it's kind of like, you know, we already have a target on our back and we already have people who don't, wouldn't agree with what we do, the kind of business we have or anything like that. You know, we have to make sure that we have each other's back. Instead of putting a target on each other, we need to be, you know, uh, uh, protective of each other. Because if one goes down, potentially all could go down. Yeah. Uh, so that that's an environment that I fostered through from like 2001 through about 2005. Um, and fortunately, that's to my knowledge, pretty much the same thing. I'm supportive. I tell people when they ask me about the dungeon, hey, none, no one is better than the other. They're different. They have different feels to them. They have different um, vibes to them. They have different types of people that come to them. Which gonna, what's going to resonate with you is what you're going to find as your home. Thank you so much for talking about that because I will say there are bad rumors about every dungeon that exists. There is the potential for bad blood between dungeons, um, but it is never a win for the community when a dungeon goes down, ever. It is never a win for the community when dungeons uh, don't like each other, won't work together. And in fact, competing events for no reason, it just doesn't, um, it doesn't benefit anybody. Unfortunately, and I know that you have experienced this, Mistress, but like, there are only so many Saturdays in a month. So typically dungeons do technically have to compete but I have found a lot that event coordinators in particular can work together to try to have similar events at different times. And I think it's so important for event coordinators and dungeon owners alike to be looking at the community and asking, how can we create more opportunity, not less? Well, number one, the other, the other people have to also have the same mindset about wanting to cooperate. Yeah. And, and that's <laughs> not always the case. And sometimes, especially with new things here, it's like they get very defensive about what they're doing um or they may not be innovative so that's in other words you know one of the things that we pride ourselves with sanctuary is that we try to break new ground with events you know we we've done a, a number of things here that that didn't work for other people in the past um but we've we've made them work because of the way we approach it you know uh like with gentlemen in charge um that's that was a huge success for us over in uh on La Siena. Yet other male dominated events, uh male dom, female sub were not. But we made the differences on uh, on the DMs. We made the you know, all female DMs. We had it became more of a high protocol. There was a, a um, dress code. There was a lot of things that we did that made people feel safe and secure. And we would have people come on the dungeon and go, wow, I can't imagine, I can't, I don't understand how you can have a party like this and actually have more women than you have men here. That's, that's crazy. But it's because we did our homework and we, again, asked, you know, what does the community need? What did, what, for an event like this, what's important to the people who come? You know, safety, um, you know, uh, the ability to come there and not feel like you're going to be fresh meat, uh, having standards, having certain protocols in in place that is so that everybody understands what is okay and what's not okay. Those little things like that you do. But unfortunately, there are some places that you, when you go through all this work of doing it and they come to it 
and then all of a sudden you find your saint the, the event that you've been doing all of a sudden is almost identical to this event that somebody else is doing uh, mm -hmm. with a different name and in some cases and won't mention names but in some cases we've even had situations where uh, our type of event is being copied by somebody else almost down to the verbiage of the description you know which it was only changing a few names but you know what what can you do about it you know we just feel like uh it's we'd rather be the innovator and the leader and that um and everybody else can be the follower and we will just focus on what we do not what anybody else does we'll focus on what we do is going to determine whether we're successful or whether we're going to be a failure it's not by making somebody else look bad or trashing somebody else or copying somebody else it's like we my my philosophy is that we stand on our own two feet or we're going to fail on our own two feet and not by uh, any, anything anybody else does yeah you just reminded me when i came to you actually after having done awakening for a few years and wanting to do club edge yeah. i remember you telling me about how people had tried to do a focused edge play party a number of times and it had never really taken off um and i remember you telling me that and it was like well you know the concept being a little bit different with combining it how i do awakening and everything and you were like you know what let's give this a shot you know it's a different way of doing it and you know and we have the two-year anniversary coming up yeah um but yeah so and you know sure. jen that um that, and I also remember the the day that you came to me with the kinky karaoke. I'm like, what? oh yeah, <laughs> no, I don't know. That's that's one of those cases where nobody else is doing anything like that. The thought, even for me, at that time, about <laughs> karaoke in the dungeon. You know, <laughs> I remember you laughing. Are going to be playing in the playrooms with, you know. I mean, it's like I will give it a try, but you know, I don't know. And that's been going how many years now? Yeah, I, I don't five. It's been longer than longer than oh. our relationship. When oh, okay. I met you, you were doing it. It's probably so maybe like seven, seven years. years. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's some people's favorite. But I know it's it's, <laughs> and that was an idea that came to me in during the intermission of going to see a musical in Hollywood. <laughs> it's like crazy. Uh, yeah, Mr. Cyan has been very very nice about taking my crazy ideas and letting me try them. Yeah, super supportive. Um, uh, so. What is your hope for for your dungeon space now? Because the new sanctuary location has been around for almost has it been a year already? Um, well, we we actually I think March uh, next week will be a year since we took possession of the building. Okay, but our first um, our first party was back in like I believe it was in March. Was March, our, yeah. Our yeah. grand opening was actually in May, so we're not quite to the year yet, but we're we're getting there. What are some of your hopes for your space and what is in the future of sanctuary? Mm, well, well, for one thing, I mean, we've got a few uh, challenges here. Okay. Um, because of the pandemic and things that there's a lot of people who lost their, their homes. They recently, the uh, mandate on, you know, uh, what's it called, uh, evictions and stuff expired. Uh, and during that time, a lot of people went homeless. Uh, and one 
option that people who homeless people had was instead of like living in tents on the sidewalk was uh, motorhomes. And in Los Angeles County, we have kind of like an epidemic of motorhomes. There's 6,500 motorhomes in parked in, in Los Angeles County. Uh, and our area is not uh, an exception to that. We've got some uh, the motorhomes parked in this area, in the, in the industrial area. And that um, as a result, even though the county and everything is working on that with 6,500 of them, it's not something, it's not going to be taken care of overnight. Uh, there are plans and stuff. It, and it is an obstacle for us because it, interfere, it, it interferes with people's ability to park. Okay. Uh, there's going to be some people that, um, that may not feel safe coming, you know, into an area where they see a lot of, you know, uh, motor homes or something like that. These people haven't caused us any problems or anything else, but they do. It does interfere with some of the things with the parking. So right now, our, one of the things is we're just working with the sheriffs. We're working with the County of Los Angeles. We're working with the Chamber of Commerce and actually with the Department of Justice on some uh, in communication about, you know, what we're dealing with, uh, giving them information and working with them to try to to prioritize our area in some way to get some things taken care of. Um, when that happens and, and these areas are open up, there'll be more parking, which means we can get more people here, which means that people are gonna have a better feel about the area in general. The reality is we're, we're safe here. The, per, the perception sometimes is that, oh, there's all those motorhomes parked and homeless people or something like that, I'm afraid to go there. So even though for the perception and reality are not the same, one person's perception is their reality. So, you know, we're, we're dealing with that, but there's, we have to wait on the county and the sheriffs and everything else to work with us on that and go through the, the process. Uh, interior, I mean, we're constantly working on, on sanctuary to build it more into a space that is going to be more elegant. Um, you know, it is a large location, so that you know over 5,000 feet so you know it's industrial space but we want we don't want it to look like a warehouse we, we, we've got our playrooms we've got our uh the main room but we've done it with chandeliers and we've got nice staging and sound and lighting and, and so on so it's a constantly uh what can i what can we do to make it even better so we're always focusing on that. If we're never satisfied. We strive for perfection. You know, we don't settle for mediocrity. Um, as far as my the professional part of a sanctuary, you know, my goal is to have the the best, most well respected, well trained dom subs and switches here um, that know what they're doing. That is, uh, people feel safe, and that's one thing we have been very successful about when sanctuaries uh, has always published like our address there was a time uh, back in like 2011 that sanctuary was the only pro dungeon that you could go online and find the address every other one you had to call call before you're coming for your session and so on like that and I had clients say you know what I really feel safe about coming to you because there's accountability you know it's not it's not but it's so secretive or something like that I know that it's got to be legit. So mm. that's our thing. Maintaining uh, 
our reputation of being kind of a community center for kink, basically. You know, we do classes, we do workshops, we do, you know, again, as you know, support groups that, that we don't charge people for the rental. We try to support the community, meet the community's needs, and, uh, and continue to listen to what the community wants and what the community needs and to, uh, if we're making mistakes with anything, uh, to listen to them and figure out what we can do to, uh, to fix those or make it even better than it is. I've had people also ask me about wanting to, to franchise sanctuary into other areas. And like, like I tell them, it depends on where that area is, because it's not as easy as just saying, okay, we're going to have a new sanctuary at such and such, you know, or in Albuquerque or, or something, you know, it's not as easy as opening up a Dunkin' Donuts, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I had heard, and I have heard people ask the question before, but is there a possibility at some point in the distant future, like five to 10 years from now, um, that Sanctuary will be able to buy the space next to it and broaden the range of the current location, like to have a larger space? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're that. And also the fact is that, you know, thanks to the, the pandemic and the economy and stuff, uh, you know, when our lease didn't get renewed and we had to come out and start looking, was about the time, the worst time in the past 15, 20 years with interest rate hikes. So our interest rate is really high, um, you know, with our mortgage and stuff. But, you know, the hopes are that, um, you know, in a few years, either we can take and um, the, the property will uh, increase in value. And it might be something that we can, um, that, you know, where we can actually sell the building and, and use that to invest in a larger building. So... The expansion is always something, you know, as far as like buying a building next to us, that's only available if the people next to us want to sell. Yeah. <laughs> right. right. So, uh, right. you know, so, so it's again, up to them. <laughs> yes. And so we don't have the control over that. I, I tend to base my planning and my strategic planning on things that I can control, right. things that I can, I can do. We have no control over that. We do have control over if it, if potentially we wanted to, <clears throat> you know, sell this building and move into a 10,000 foot building or something along that line. Mistress, thank you so much for speaking with us. Um, one thing I wanted to add here that I I know that you also care about, but obviously um, the hope is to be able to find them more sustainable housing and to take care of our homeless. And I know that Sanctuary cares about that. I know that um, you run, you know, events um, just to raise money to help people who are struggling. So there is a point to offering aid and trying to find out how do we help um, people who who do not have homes, um, because very easily any of us could become a person who does not have a home, and um, people without homes are deserving of compassion and help. So I'll share some resources in the description of the link about um, where we can go and what you can do to either donate or, or provide some aid, um, because that's something that's that's something that's a situation that all of us as members of the Los Angeles community should be thinking, how can we help our homeless population and our unhoused population? If you haven't been to Sanctuary and you're listening, uh, it's a really fun dungeon. Um, it is. It's basically, it's not new, right? Sanctuary has been around for 25 years, but this is a new location. Um, and it's changing all the time. Mr. Sayan and, and the whole team there are working constantly around the clock 
to update it. And we host a lot of our events there. Um, obviously, we think very highly of Mistress. Um, <laughs> and uh, we we hope that if you've never been and you're listening to the podcast now, you you come along and, and pay a visit and, and check it local. out. If you're local. If you're local, yeah. Oh, no, if <laughs> you're not local. fly out. I mean, fly you know. out. Come to the sanctuary. <laughs> um, we have a million more questions we could ask you. We may very well have you back again if you will consent to to sit with us again and, and do another um, another interview. But this has been so fascinating. I hope that people who are listening have learned a little bit more about uh, the obstacles that face kinksters and, and, and professional BDSMers who are, you know, running spaces like this. Um, and I also hope that people, if you're curious about running a dungeon, that you'll consider um, doing your research and really looking at what does it take? What's it going to take? Because the biggest pain is watching a space go up and then seeing it fall down. And sometimes it is preventable if uh, the person had done their research or understood what it takes just to break even. So um, if y'all are listening to this and you were thinking about starting a dungeon, please don't be discouraged. Just double down, do your research, figure out how do I make this business sustainable? Because make no mistake, it is a business and you have to be able to not only keep those doors open, but actually have profit to be able to to, to do it. Mr. So are there any closing words from you that you'd like to say to our audience before we say goodbye today? No, I just uh, thank you for having me on. I would be you know, honored to come back and do it if you have more questions and uh, hopefully people will. Uh, the other thing that's really important about a, a, about a dungeon space is that it's a, it's a safe place to play, the, you know, be very careful if you're new to the scene about just going and meeting somebody's house. You don't know, you don't know anything really about them. Chances are things are going to be good, but things can go wrong. And when you're in a one-on-one -on -one situation in somebody's home or in a hotel room, compared to being in a public place where you've got DMs supervising so that, so that you're you're safe and that the scenes are safe and that the type of play is. Um, is not going to endanger somebody's um, health or safety. Well, that's a very good point. Thank you so much for that. And thank you so much for taking the time out of your very busy day, because all of your days are busy, and we know that, um, <laughs> to come and talk to us. Thank you all so much for tuning in today. We are so excited for season three. It's going to be a fun one, and we're really taking time to make sure that every episode is the absolute best that we can give you. We wanted to shout out our amazing patrons. We're talking about... Jason C. Jason C is a new patron. Welcome to the Patreon, Jason C. <laughs> Who else we need to call out? Um, we have, so for a long time, Pudding was all alone uh, as a call me kinkling. And then Jenny came and, and kept putting company. And now we have two more to <gasps> add to that. So there's Walk. four of you hanging out. In the zone, and that is so. We have pudding. We have Jenny. I want to say something. We're, oh, okay. Okay, and then um, we also have spicy newbies. Yes. And we have the squatch. Squatch. The squatch. Yes. So thank you all so much for your support. You don't understand how much it means to us. Um, or yeah. maybe you do, and that's why you've done it. And in which case, thank you. <laughs> yes. Thank you for understanding or not understanding, but we, you, you, it means the world to us. It, means it the really world to does. Us. We really appreciate it. We also want to recognize our team for this season. We're talking about Tussled and Sid. Yes. We love ya. <laughs> and uh, with that being said, we're going to go ahead and sign off for now. Be well, precious kinklings. Bye. Bye.